other things. So, John chapter 4. Some of you will know this story better than others, so I'm going to take a little time with it. Starting at verse 4, says, And he, speaking of Jesus, must needs go through Samaria. And then cometh he to the city of a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. If you're not familiar with how the clock of the Jewish day worked, the sixth hour was midday. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. It was the middle of the day. Everybody else and everything else was probably at rest in the shade somewhere during the heat of the day. And yet this woman came to the well. And Jesus knew that she would be there. With the help of the Lord this morning, for just a little while, I want to preach about thirst. Thirst. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your presence. We're thankful, Lord, for this new life that we've celebrated today. God, we want to lift up the Dimer family. Lord, Rollick and Jessica and the kids who are not well, we pray you touch them. Heal them this morning. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray. And Lord, as we open your word together, Lord, may faith rise in this place. May a thirst for you rise in this place. Lord God, we pray. Lord, we just ask you to anoint and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the culture of the ancient world in which Jesus lived, the only reason a person would come, particularly a lady, to the well in the middle of the day was to avoid contact with other people. In this case, the, this particular woman was probably not wanting to interact with the other women that would usually come early in the day when it was cool, when they needed water. There was no water on tap. They couldn't just go to the bathroom or the kitchen or the laundry or the hose outside. They had to come and draw water very regularly, if not daily. And so in the cool of the day, with everything beginning, the women would come together. And no doubt it was a busy spot early in the morning as they came to get their water and exchange their social greetings and catching up with each other's news. It's kind of like checking Facebook first thing in the morning, except they had to go to the well to do that. And, you know, they were, you know, they were friends, people that had probably seen each other nearly every day for years. And, you know, what's going on with your family? How are your kids? You know, I heard that your husband's been sick. Is he okay? But then, as is often the way with human nature, there were the other conversations of, did you hear about so-and-so? Can you believe that they would do that? Why would they behave like that? If my children did that, if my husband did that, is she really going to marry him? It's not too much of a stretch to imagine that there was a bit of that going on at the well every morning. I think they were pretty much just like we were. And this woman that Jesus spoke to was trying to avoid all of that interaction. Such was the shame that she felt and the ridicule that she had experienced. And you'll see why as we read on that the heat of the sun was preferred to the heat of others' tongues. And in response to the request, Jesus says to her, give me to drink. And we read that and because we're not in that culture, we think, oh, that's not a... It's hot, there's a well there, she's got a jug or a bucket or some kind of vessel. 
It's not unreasonable, but when you understand the social and cultural barriers that he crossed to make that request. In verse 9, it says, Then says, says the woman of Samaria, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asks a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. It wasn't that she was refusing, but she was amazed. She did not expect him to even acknowledge that she existed. She probably expected him just to tilt his head the other way as if she wasn't even there because the Jews looked down upon the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a mixed race people. The Jews were the people of God and they they took that with a fair bit of pride. In today's world that would be considered very inappropriate and the Samaritans were Jews that had blended with nations around about them and were not doing the things that the Lord wanted them to do and so there was a very clear line of separation socially that took place. In verse 10, in response to her question, Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. Three things in that verse. He said, If you knew, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I was, you would have asked of me for a drink. But like everybody else, people were still trying to really work out who Jesus was. In verse 11, the woman said unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? She looked at Jesus and said, You haven't got a bucket. You haven't got a jug or whatever the vessels were, the earthen vessels they may have used when they lowered them down into the well. She said, The well's pretty deep. You don't even have a measuring cup. Where are you getting this living water from? She said, from whence? That that word is not a word we use every day. You know, when your kids come home from school, I don't think if you say, whence comest thou? But whence is an old English word that means from what source? What is the source of this living water? Where are you getting it from? You're talking about me asking you for a drink, but I don't see a water bottle. I don't see a tap. I don't see anything. What are you talking about and in verse 13 Jesus answered and said unto her whosoever drinks of this water talking about the well shall thirst again but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life now if you're familiar with the scripture or you've been in church long enough those expressions are not strange to you, but to this woman who was hearing them for the first time, how a well in me springing up? That's a strange idea. A well of, of, everla- of water that brings everlasting life? What does it mean to never thirst again? She knew she'd be back at the well the next day or at least the day after that. She knew the water would run out. And here's this strange Jewish man sitting on the edge of the well talking about water that could take away thirst forever. And I believe that in her heart, she's thinking, I've never even met this man before, but there's something as he spoke that began to stir inside of her. Something as he used these strange expressions that begin to stir in her heart and make her become conscious of a thirst that she'd pretty well suppressed and forgotten about. 
He awoke something in her, a thirst for something that she had never been able to satisfy. She didn't understand who he was. She didn't understand what he was saying, but something inside of her began to come to life as Jesus spoke to her. And many of you this morning can testify of how possibly the first or second time you came into a service and people were worshipping and lifting their hands and maybe speaking other tongues and it looked like it was just a crazy place full of crazy people. And some of you are thinking that this morning for the first time. And you didn't understand what they were talking about and who they were talking about and, and what was going on, but you begin to feel something. Something begins to stir in our hearts. I don't know what this is. I think these people are nuts. I think they're crazy. I think they're fanatics. I want to get out of here and go home where I don't feel uncomfortable. But something, when the Word of God and the Spirit of God begins to move on us, something begins to happen that we're not aware of and we not really didn't realize was even within us. And that's what was happening to this woman as Jesus began to speak to her. You see, there was something about the way he spoke. They said of him in one point, they said, never a man spoke like this man. It wasn't his accent, wasn't his vocabulary, wasn't his ability to speak with great fancy words. It was just the power of God when he spoke. See, they tell us, and everyone gets nervous when I start to walk towards science, but they tell us that our bodies are made up of approximately 70% water. That percentage varies in different parts of our bodies, and if you're interested, you can look that up. But on average, it's somewhere around that number. That water that makes up these bodies needs to be replenished, needs to be topped up regularly. It's not good to become dehydrated. It's good for us to be hydrated to remain healthy. We need water. These bodies need water to live. Our society recognizes that and to the point that it's almost become obsessed with people drinking enough water. You know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but uh, those of us that have been around a little while remember a time when there wasn't a whole Woolworths aisle full of bottled water (laughs) and that, you know, you didn't have to leave the house with a bottle of water thinking you'd die between the front door and the car. It's like everywhere we go, we take bottles of water now. It's like even if we're going for a drive down the street, I've got to take my water bottle. You know, it's like... And some people have them. looks like they're carrying their own rainwater tank when they're going around. You know, when I grew up, we, I, didn't, I don't think I ever owned a water bottle when I went to school. We had water fountains and taps and creeks and things like that. And when we went to church, nobody had a water bottle. If I had said, can I go get a drink, would have been, yeah, when the service is over. Now we carry that water bottle like it's an oxygen tank and we're going to die without it. You know, I think the, water, the people that make the, water, the bottled water are probably laughing at us all but they're making some money but the reality is we do need water see even just talking about it some people have reached for their water bottles prompting people see we need water amen the right percentage of water in our blood in our organs in our brains is very very important for function god has designed these bodies so that when these levels drop we begin to feel thirst there are systems within the way he's made us that, when, that respond to the ebb and flow of those water levels in our bodies. We, we understand that without water, we cannot live very long at all. You can go without food a lot longer than you think you can. Some of us think that the distance between breakfast and lunch is too long. 
We can, we can go a lot longer without food than we think we can, but water is a different story. The, the going without water begins to present symptoms very quickly, things like dehydration. You become irritable when you're dehydrated. So maybe when someone at home is cranky, don't say, have you had a Snickers? Give them a bottle of water instead. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe they're dehydrated. Mental and physical function begins to decline when you're dehydrated. Eventually, there will be things like seizures and ultimately death. Water is so very, very important. And back to our text in John chapter 4 and verse 15. After Jesus had said these strange words, the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So I don't have to come back to this well. She said, I, I, I don't really understand what you're talking about. When you, but when you speak of living water, there's something inside of me that wants that. She said, give me this water. Give me this water. He, see, what Jesus had done is he had gradually made her aware of her thirst for something that she did not have the answer for, but only he had the answer for. She didn't understand all of what he was talking about, but something become alive in her and what she wanted she started needing what he was telling her about and if you've ever read this passage before you'll know that between verse 15 and verse 16 it's like there's a piece it's like there's a connection that's missing it's like Jesus changed changes gears or he shifts his focus because in verse 16 as she said give me this living water Jesus says go get your husband and come back she's like what and the woman answered in verse 17 and said, I have no husband. That was true. It was a partial truth, but it was true. Because Jesus said to her, you've, you've well said, you've told the truth, you have no husband. He said, because you've had five husbands. And she said, he said, the guy you're shacking up with now is not your husband. He said, you've told the truth. The Lord began to reveal to her by only his knowledge the sinful state that she was in. The fact that her life was a mess, the fact that she was broken, the fact that the, the reason that she behaved the way she did was actually because of her thirst. Jesus was not being unkind. He wasn't being mean. He wasn't trying to, nowadays, they would get offended or outraged or a combination of both. He wasn't trying to upset somebody, but he was trying to get a message across that the sin in her life was directly connected to the thirst in her heart. And that for him to be able to address one, he had to address the other. He wasn't just trying to put her down and say, you've been unfaithful, you've gone through husbands like crazy, you're a mess, you're a shame. She knew all those things. But he was saying, if you want me to give you that water, there are some things we have to address. He said, there is a reason that you're thirsty. There is a reason that no matter how many marriages, how many relationships you have, you cannot find what you're looking for. And then in verse 19, the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Well, she, he just told her all the personal details that he didn't have, so that was a pretty good assumption to make. In verse 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, which is Mount Gerizim, but you say in Jerusalem is the place that men ought to worship. Instantly, she changed. When he started talking about living water, she was interested. 
But then when he started talking about the condition of her life, the attitude changed. She got religious. That's what happened. She got religious. She said, nobody likes being told they're a sinner. Nobody likes being told that their lives are a mess. She, when he began to poke things a little bit hard, she, she got religious. She said, well, you know, our people think this is how you should do it. My parents were of this particular faith. My grandparents were of this particular faith. You ever heard somebody say that? So I'm going to die of that particular faith. That's got to be one of the dumbest statements I've ever heard. I don't say that to be offensive, but if your grandparents were wrong and your parents were wrong, why would you choose to stay wrong? But she got a little bit, you know, my heritage. See, what happened is pride rose up. How dare he say that to me? How dare he? She had a form of religion, but it wasn't offering her anything to quench her thirst. They had routine and ritual and practice and program, but there was still something unsatisfied in her heart. Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 to 26. Jesus spoke to the scribes and Pharisees and he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, wasn't talking about natural blindness. He said, cleanse first that which is within the cup and then the outside can be clean also. Jesus cares about the inside and the outside of the cup. But they were religious. They had that outside of that cup shining like it was brand new. But what was inside was still filthy. They hadn't addressed the root of the problem. An empty religious tradition is an outward display of godliness, an outward display of ceremony and ritual that is only covering up a corrupt and sinful inner man. You see, most, if not all, sin has its roots in pride. You think about sin, it's either wanting what we want or thinking we know better. It's all got to do with pride. The devil himself initiated sinful pride when he decided that he was going to be higher than God. He was going to ascend, he was going to be the man in charge and he he was the first one that we read about that demonstrated that pride but from then sin has come into the human race and pride is the root of all of that because anytime we say that we don't want to do what god says or we know better than god it's pride it's us saying we're better we're smarter what i want matters more than what god wants and god will let you make that choice he's not going to twist your arm up your back and force you to submit he'll let you make that choice but pride is the rootstock of just about all sin it is pride that is not only responsible for mankind's separation from god but it is pride that is so often responsible for man not coming back to god pride and sin took us away from god pride is so often the factor that stops us from coming back to god God puts a hook in our hearts, as it were, not literally, obviously, but he begins to stir that thirst like the woman at the well, and we start feeling like, well, you know, there's something here that I want. There's there's something that he's talking about that I feel like I need in my life, but then he begins to talk about sin, and the walls go up. I don't want people to know I'm a sinner. Guess what? Let me get that out of the way. We know you're a sinner. We're all sinners. Welcome to the club. Let's not pretend that any of us weren't sinners. (laughs) Let's get that out of the way. But we, we worry about, oh, what will they say? What will they think? If, 
you know, if, if a preacher talks about coming and, and repenting of your sins, telling God you're sorry and wanting to change your life, people will know I'm a sinner. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Just like the woman at the well. God speaks to us, whether it's through preaching, whether it's through somebody sharing their experience with us, whatever the method is, it starts to stir a thirst in us that sometimes we didn't even realize was there. But there's something in human nature that doesn't like to admit we need Jesus. There's something in each of us, me included, that we don't like to put a hand up and say, if I'm honest, I've made a pretty good mess of things and I need God. We need someone to save us. Pride, Psalm 73 and 6 talks about pride being wrapped around us like a chain. It binds. It holds us back. It stops us from going and getting what God wants us to have. Mark 2 and 17, Jesus said unto them, they that are whole have no need of a physician. The healthy people don't need a doctor. He said, but the sick people need a doctor. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They got upset at him because he was eating lunch and having dinner with the wrong kind of people. The people that you didn't mess with. The people that had a bad reputation. They thought, what's he doing eating with them? And he said, I came to reach for those that were broken. I didn't come for the healthy. The doctor doesn't come to your house when you say, hey, doc, I'm doing great. Can you come around? He comes when you're sick. The message Jesus was sharing was not some of you need me and some of you don't. He was saying some of you realize you need me and some of you don't. He came for all of them. We're, we're, in, we're living in a, in a year this year. What a year 2020 has been. I don't think, I may have heard the word pandemic maybe two times in my life before this year. I heard about two times every hour of every day at the moment. We've got an escapee running through the front here. We've got a, got a jailbreak. And everybody's obsessed and concerned and worried. But let me tell you something. Sin is a much bigger concern than any disease or any illness because the thing about sin is everybody's got it. Everybody's got it. The infection rate is 100%. Every single person has got sin. And Jesus is saying, if you recognize that, I've come to heal. I've come to deliver, I've come to set you free, I've come to give you water that will quench your thirst. But first you've got to recognize where you're at. Repentance. If you don't know what that word means, again, it's another old English word. It basically means to do a U-turn. To come to a point where I recognize I have sinned. I have done things I shouldn't have done. And to not only recognize that, but to regret that to recognize that Jesus died because of that and to say, I want to turn from those things. I want to walk away. I want to begin to walk towards Jesus. It's not suggesting that you come to church and repent and the next day you're perfect. It's about direction as much as it is about anything else. It's about a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. It is the beginning of the healing process for the sickness of sin. But you cannot repent without confronting pride. Because I don't know how many times you hear somebody say, well, I'm a good person. You begin to talk to them about needing to be saved from their sins and about the fact there is a heaven and there is a hell, but I'm a good person. And God knows my heart. Yes, He does. That's why He went to Calvary, because of the condition of our hearts. 
And we think that just having some good intentions and doing a good deed is going to just let us skate through. No, no, no. All have sinned, the Bible says, come short of the glory of God. The wages or the consequences of what we receive because of that sin is death. But fortunately, the verse doesn't stop. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So after this woman gets a bit, a little bit offended and a little bit religious with Jesus and back to John chapter 4 and verse 21, she says, you know, our fathers say we should have worship over here. You Jews should worship over there. Jesus says unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither worship in this mountain nor at Jerusalem, but you shall worship the Father. He says, it's not going to be about where you are. It's going to be about who you worship. And then, then very bluntly again, he says, you worship, you know not what. He said, you don't have a clue what you worship it. But we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now, I don't want to get off track into that, but salvation comes through the nation of Israel. But then in verse 23, Jesus said, But the hour is coming, in fact it's here, now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He said religious tradition is not going to be enough. It's not, the outside of the cup is not enough. You've got to get it all sorted out. He said, For the Father seeketh such to worship him. That ought to, you know, when you stop and think about it, God is looking for people that want to worship him the right way. God is looking for people. Uh, we started out, the first verse we read said that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He went through there on purpose. He went through there because he knew he had an appointment. He was looking for somebody. He's looking for worshipers. He's looking for people that are thirsty for living water. He went out of his way, just like he took Philip in Acts chapter 8, put him in the pathway of the Ethiopian eunuch because he was looking for people that will worship him in spirit. And in truth, verse 24 says, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He said, you don't really understand much at all. You don't even know who you worship. But he said, there's true worship. And there's a God that's looking for people that want to worship him. In verse 25, the woman said unto him, we know that Messiah is, or the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he comes, he's going to tell us everything. And as plain as day, Jesus says unto her, I that speak unto thee, am he. I find it interesting that Jesus spoke so directly about his identity to a sinful woman, but he did not, he was not so open with the religious people. Why? Because he was looking for thirsty hearts. He was looking for people that weren't interested in ceremony and emptiness. He wanted people that had a thirst in their hearts for the things of God. Verse 28, and the woman left her water pot, which they never did, went her way into the city and said unto the men. She left that old vessel, the chores, all the reasons she'd gone there, the water she thought she needed, she forgot about all that. She went into the city to see the men. And verse 29 says, she said, come see a man which told me all the things that ever I did. That's amazing because she's almost excited now about the fact that he'd revealed her sin. Before, she got a little bit prickly and a bit defensive, but now, because he's continuing to reach for her heart, she said, There's a, come see this man that told me all the things. Is this not the Christ? She went to see the very people she was trying to avoid all the time. When, if you understand anything about ancient culture, when she went to see the men, it was probably the rulers of the city that sat in the gate 
the elders that made the decisions and oversaw what took place in that city, she went straight to them and said, forgot all about her shame and said, there's a man you guys need to come see. And they thought, this must be interesting because she would not even normally talk to us. And they went out of the city, verse 30, and came unto him. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, a woman they would not have believed the day before, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. And when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two whole days. I'd love to know what happened in those two days. I'd love to know what conversations took place, but we'll we find out about that when we get to heaven. And many, verse 41, many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, but because we heard it for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Let me tell you something this morning. You need to hear it for yourself. You need to hear it for yourself. It's great to listen to what God has done for other people. It's great to hear Sister Veronica testify about what happened when she prayed for that child before it was even born. That's awesome, but we've got to hear it for ourselves. We've got to hear it and experience it for ourselves. We've got to have water. There isn't another option. In the natural, even if we drink other things, it's the water content that's in them that our body is. If you drink more tea than water, it's still the water that's in your tea that your body needs. If you drink more Coke than water, you should probably give that up because you're going to get a bonus called diabetes. But it is the water content in what we drink that our bodies need. We cannot live without... And the reason that most of our population in this country lives on the coast is that there is hardly any water inland. It's a dry, dusty desert. In the 63rd Psalm, in the first verse, tells us that David, while he was in the wilderness of Judah, said, Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longs for thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. You see, just as Jesus has made us not to be able to live without water naturally, we cannot have life in our souls without his spirit, without the living water that he was talking to that woman about. There is nothing else that can bring life to your soul. Natural thirst after a while produces thinking and behavior that is unusual and strange because it is a product of an unsatisfied desire. When people's mental function and physical function begins to be affected by their thirst, it's because there's something in them that has not been satisfied. The reason so many people get deep into sin is because there is a thirst in their heart that it does not matter what they try that is out there, there is no satisfaction in the things of this world, that the sin and the wickedness that is out there brings pleasure for a season. A wild Saturday night's a good time, but Sunday morning comes. And you wake up where you don't know, next to who you don't know. Having spent, you don't know how much, drunk and done whatever. Of you. You got, but see, the, it's all right for a moment. But you've got to wake up sooner. Eventually, it comes to an end. And so that thirst is still there. We do something else. We try something else. I need, I need a new relationship. I need a new job. I need a new hobby. I need to change my social circle. I need to get fit. I need to lose weight. I need to change the color of my hair. I need to move to the other side of the country. I need to try this and try that. There is a thirst that is in humanity that nothing satisfies except Jesus Christ. 
And I could get people to stand and testify this morning and tell you of the things they tried on their journey to Jesus and how none of them quenched their thirst. The woman at the well is an example of this. It's very easy to look down upon her, but we don't know her past. We don't know what caused her to turn to a life of broken marriages and relationships. I think it's pretty safe to assume that she had a low opinion of herself, but she couldn't find the answer until she met. You know the difference between people that we consider worse sinners than us, which is a complete misperception anyway, but the difference is some of them are willing to act more on their thirst. Some are willing to do something a bit more extreme to try to satisfy their thirst. One last passage of Scripture, and I'm done. John chapter 7, verse 37. If I could maybe have a musician, please, Sister Stanka. John 7 and 37 says, In that last day, the great day of the feast, Without getting off track, it's a special occasion on the Jewish calendar. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. went for seven days, seven-day-long feast. So they, they were having a good time. But on that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried, or he, he said with a loud voice, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he said strange words that were a little bit like the ones he said to the woman in chapter 4. He said, he that believeth on me, if you knew who it was, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And John, with the advantage of writing this looking back, said, but this spake he of the Spirit. Jesus was talking about the Holy Ghost, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Why wasn't it given yet? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So after a week-long feast and celebration, pretty sure nobody was naturally thirsty. It'd be like going to somebody an hour after Christmas lunch and saying, you hungry? You know, you've just eaten a week's worth of food in one day with all your family, eating enough baked ham to make lunches for the whole week for your kids. If somebody said to you, would you like something to eat? You'd be like, are you nuts? Have you not seen what we've just eaten? And in the last day of a feast, Jesus stands up and says, if any man's thirsty, because it didn't matter how much they ate and drank naturally, he's talking about the thirst in people's hearts and in their souls. And the Bible tells us that he was speaking about the Holy Ghost, about his spirit, about living water. It's very interesting that Jesus said, if any man thirst." If, there's a condition there. You see, when he talked about how the physician don't come for the healthy, they come for the sick, there was a principle that Jesus was giving us that everybody needs God the same amount. You know, we, we can't look at society and go, well, those people need Jesus more than these people do. You know, it's like, well, those people, they're really messed up. They really need God. They've got all kinds of problems and junk going on. These people over here that are good families and rich and got it all together, they don't need Jesus. So that is a complete misunderstanding because regardless of the observable quality of your life, the need in your soul is identical regardless of how people perceive you. 
The Pharisees who looked down on Jesus, who mocked him and ridiculed him and took every opportunity they could to, to try to undermine him, needed Jesus every bit as much as the publican who fell on his knees and smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. The need was the same. The thirst was what was different. That's why Jesus said, if any man thirst, he didn't stand up and say, you're all thirsty. He just said, if you're thirsty, if you're aware of it, if you'd like to have what I'm offering, he said, come unto me and drink. But then John went on to say that at that point when he actually said that, he was looking ahead. It wasn't actually available then. It was kind of, you know, it was like a trailer. He was making an announcement for something that was coming soon. And the reason it wasn't available was Jesus had not yet been glorified. What does that mean? You might not understand what that's all about. What that means is that all of us are sinners. Whether you want to admit that this morning or not, we are. And just like the woman at the well that Jesus spoke to, there was issues in her life that he had to address before he could give her what he was offering. And Jesus said these words in John 7. And just a few chapters later, between John 13 and on to the end of the Gospel of John, he's taken, he's falsely condemned, he's put on trial, falsely accused, judged by people unfairly, abused and mocked and ridiculed. And they take him outside the city and they crucify him. They nail him to a cross. And the reason they did that was because there is a price for sin. He had to deal with the sin issue before he could pour out living water. He had to deal with the consequences of that woman's broken life before he could satisfy the thirst in her soul. The Bible says that he died for... One of the things he said while he was hanging on the cross was, I thirst. Now you can speculate about what, why he felt thirsty. Possibly there was a physical component, but as he bore the punishment for sin and guilt and shame for the entire human race, he began to feel what the rest of humanity has felt since the beginning, that thirst and that need for the presence of God. And he died. He gave up the ghost. The Bible says they buried him. And on the morning of the third day, he rose again from the dead and he was glorified. So when John said it hadn't been given yet because it hadn't, he hadn't been glorified, he was saying that looking back from after Calvary. But John was saying that having been filled with the Holy Ghost, having been there on the day of Pentecost when God poured out that living water, for the very first time. He'd been filled with, he knew what he was writing about. He was writing those words as God's spirit was in him. He said, this spoke he about the Holy Ghost, which wasn't given yet because he hadn't been glorified. He didn't go on, but he could have kept going and said, but now he has been. Now he's paid the price. Now he's dealt with the sin issue. And now the responsibility leaves him and comes back to us. Because he still says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. But you've got to deal with the sin issue. And I want you to stand with me this morning if you would. The Word of God, not me, tells us we're all sinners. The Word of God tells me that all of us need salvation. 
The Word of God also tells me that anybody can come to Jesus. Whosoever will. Anybody. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter how much of a mess you are or how much of a mess you're not. You need Jesus. But that process must begin with first being willing to say, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I've done things in my life that have broken the commandments of God. I've lied, I've stolen, I've been violent, I've been immoral. There's long lists in the Scripture of the things that are sinful. It's about putting your hand up and saying, Lord, I need you. It's about like that woman at the well getting over your pride and your hurt feelings and pretending that nothing's wrong and saying, God, here I am. Here I am, Lord, I'm a sinner. It's about recognizing that God wants us to turn our backs on those things and walk towards Him. You see, when we, when we repent, what is happening is that we are dying to an old life. We're saying, that's not going to be the road I walk anymore. And again, if we had the rest of the day, we could have people tell you how their experience was as they turn from sin and begin to walk to God and families that are together and children that are being raised in the house of God and lives that are being turned around. We could talk about that for weeks. But when you make that decision and you turn from that old life and walk towards Him, He's there with that living water. We need to be baptized in Jesus' name and have our sins washed away. But you can receive the Holy Ghost when you repent. And so this morning as we worship the Lord, I know I've tried in my limited ability to explain some of these things today, but if you're feeling something inside of you this morning, there's a thirst. If there's something, I haven't got a clue what's going on in this crazy church, but there's a thirst in your heart for living what I want you to come to the front of this church. I want you to stand or sit or kneel, whatever you're comfortable with, the position is irrelevant. And begin to talk to Jesus, just like you'd talk to somebody else. You don't need fancy words. You don't have to sound like you're reading from the Bible. You can say, God, I'm a sinner. And I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty, Lord. I'm thirsty. God, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for the way I've lived. I'm sorry for the things that I know I shouldn't have done. The things that, Lord, things that made you have to go to the cross. And I thank you for Calvary. And I ask you to help me to turn from those things, begin a process of forgiveness and healing and wholeness in my life. And when we do that with a sincere heart, God wants to fill us with living water. He wants to say like he did to that woman, if you knew who it was that's talking to you, if you knew the gift that I have to offer, you would ask of him. It's not hard, friends. We make it hard in our minds. But all we have to say is, God, here I am. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're going to worship the Lord together for a few minutes. If you want to come and pray, we will pray with you.